0: to the Nomberg Law Live podcast. Each week we have interesting conversations with people in their areas of expertise. I'm Bernard Nomberg in Birmingham, Alabama with the Nomberg Law firm, and this week's episode is Charles Morgan III is my guest. Charles is such an interesting man. He's had a very a fascinating life. Most notably, he has been in the restaurant business in the South for the last 30 plus years his family history, his history with the service industry, and so many more things made such a fascinating conversation with Charles. We think you'll really enjoy this episode of Nomberg Law Live podcast. If you like this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review, and subscribing will ensure that you get each podcast as they come out on a weekly basis. Thank you again yes sir okay. Well, you if you guys don't know uh, Charles or his family's story then you have not been paying attention to what's been going on in Alabama or in Birmingham or in the south over the last several decades but Charles is the founder and proprietor of Chuck's Fish a very popular uh, Restaurant that's in several parts of Alabama and in the Florida Panhandle, but there's so much more uh, to the story. But Charles, that's I want to start there because you've told this before. I've read in many interviews, but tell us where did the inspiration for Chuck's Fish come from? Talk to us a little bit about that story.
1: We opened Chuck's Fish in Tuscaloosa 16 years ago. I went to visit my oldest son who was in school there. And I had not been to Tuscaloosa in 30 years. And that's where I went to school too. Um, and we just stumbled upon the building where Chuck's Fish is. And I had read an article in the New York Times that had it, it described why college towns avoid recessions. And I live in Destin, Florida and we were getting ready to have one. And so we sort of took a flyer and uh, bought the building. And probably six months later, we got the restaurant open. We were, I'll never forget, I was with my mom and a friend of hers had called and said, well, what's he going to call the restaurant? Is he going to name it after his dad? And my mother said, she told me, she said, thats that would be very nice, but that's not a good idea because those people up there don't like your dad. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, I don't really care. I'm going to name it after my dad. And my father and Julian Bond had fished in a king mackerel tournament in Destin one year and they won the tournament with a 38 pound king mackerel and we've got a photograph of my dad with the fish that's sort of our logo and so we named it chuck's fish and people always oh, they would ask me I said your dad was a big fisherman and i said no that 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 fish right there that was his fish that's the only fish he ever caught um so and, and we've had a wholesale fish market now for 35 years So we've got access to fish and we were we were fortunate if if the Chucks in Tuscaloosa hadn't worked, there wouldn't have been another one. And now we've we've for the last 15 years, we've opened restaurants in Georgia and Alabama and in Florida.
0: For people who've never been to Chuck's Fish, uh, what could they expect to uh, what kind of experience, what type of a menu is there, Charles?
1: You know, it's, it's sort of an all-American menu. We don't do a lot of fancy stuff. We we have fresh seafood from the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that would be our calling card. And we also, uh, a lot of people know this, but 29 years ago, uh, Yoshia Eddings, we we started doing sushi at Harbor Docks. And in the last three decades, Yoshi has introduce sushi to generations of people throughout the South that visit Destin. And we have sushi in all the Chuck's restaurants and it's a big part of what we do. And that's because of a wonderful Japanese sushi chef named Yoshia Eddings.
0: Well, I, I've had the, the pleasure to, to eat at Chuck's in a couple of different locations. And, and this is not just an infomercial for the restaurant, but I would highly suggest that if you find yourself in Tuscaloosa, Birmingham or some of the other cities where Chuck's fish and you need an option for a great dinner, that's where you go. But Charles, where I want to go is I want to talk about you growing up in Birmingham, your father being a a civil rights lawyer, uh, during that time period in the sixties, when it was such a, a tumultuous time in the South and particularly in Birmingham and what kind of an impression, uh, did growing up in the heart of the civil rights era, What kind of impression did that leave upon you as a youngster?
1: Well, I was a kid. I was at Crestline Elementary Mm -hmm. in 1963 in the third grade. Um, And the day after the church bombing, my dad gave a speech and we lasted about three weeks before we were were forced to leave. Um, We went and stayed with the Vic Gold, who was an old friend of my dad's, we, we, we had no money, we had uh, no resources, and we moved to uh, to Arlington, Virginia, mm-hmm. and lived with uh, Vic Gold and his family, while my dad wrote the book, A Time to Speak, that was about his experiences. And so I, I remember it, not, not that my parents shielded me from a lot of this stuff, but What I know was that my dad was a 33-year-old aspiring lawyer in Birmingham, and while the the when he spoke out the day after the bombing, it effectively ended his career in Alabama, and it set him on a path that he had no. uh, He was not any sort of political firebrand, uh, liberal Democrat. Any he he was a lawyer. And he was sort of a gunslinging type lawyer. He represented people that need to be represented, mm-hmm. and he did that throughout his life. And he represented black folks in Birmingham um, when he, other people wouldn't. So, but his life was set from then on pretty much in a through you know through 1974 with uh, the civil rights movement. We moved to Atlanta in 1964, um, and through civil rights and then Vietnam cases that he was involved in for a 10 year period. You know, there was a lot going on in the, in the area of civil rights in the South and then the Vietnam War everywhere.
0: Well, certainly, certainly did that. It certainly that made an impression on you and your family about the impact uh, of what happened in Birmingham, what was happening throughout the Southeast. Did you ever consider Going to law school and, and de- heading down a similar path
1: that your father did. Yeah, I, I never did, and my father never encouraged me one way or the other. I was more enamored. My father, uh, his office was at five Forsyth Street, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and it was in that same building was SELC uh, with Dr. King and John Lewis with the Voter Education Project and Julian Baum with SNCC. Um, there was so much going on in Atlanta. That's when the New York times and the LA times and the Washington post and time, they, they started a Southern base of operations. Uh, and it was in Atlanta and my dad was very, uh, astute and really good at dealing with the press and getting the press involved, uh, with a lot of stories that otherwise, you know, if the press had not covered, uh, the march from Selma to Montgomery, uh, no nobody would have known about it. And the same thing with the church bombing. So I, I was amazed at the journalists that, that I met around my dad, um, because basically in journalism, to be a tried and true journalist, you have to have war reporting. Great journalists, whether it was through the world wars or through Vietnam, you had to be in a war situation and the civil to cover the civil rights movement in the South for a journalist was, was basically war reporting. They were perceived to be outside agitators, which in a sense they were war. war. They were reporting things that went worldwide that caused uh, our area to be under a looking glass that, and we didn't look so good.
0: Oh, absolutely. And as, as, it, as you went through high school and then made your decision to go on to college How did you factor, how did you determine that you wanted to come back to Alabama and go to school in Tuscaloosa?
1: Well, I ran track and I went to Alabama to run track and I had, I stayed through, I got a master's degree in American studies. We had a great American studies department there. And um, I was, you know, a rebellious sort of kid. You know, like maybe a lot of teenagers are the problem that I have was it was impossible to be more rebellious than my father. (laughs) And so I kind of, you know, I tell people my father was my hero. And and if I'd had a, you know, a role model sort of a lot of people and I was interested in journalism, I always admired Hunter Thompson. Mm -hmm. And in, in retrospect, that's not probably a great role model for people (laughs) to have, but he was a brilliant guy. So I was always interested in journalism and and studied that at Alabama um, also.
0: Well, I was gonna say the journalism program at the University of Alabama has always been a very strong program, in my impression, and going there and then also running track that would have made an attractive uh, pairing for any up and coming high school, going to college uh, type kid. Did you ever experience any issues or problems when people learned who who you belong to,
1: who your dad was when you were in Tuscaloosa? You know, I I didn't really, I I, I grew up through the fourth grade through high school in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And you know, as you know, Atlanta's moniker was the city too busy to hate Mm -hmm. while in Birmingham was something else. And that's why I was in Atlanta when the Braves franchise came there, the Hawks, Mm -hmm. the Falcons, there was so much going on in Atlanta Um, It was a great time to be there. It wasn't held back by the constraints that Birmingham had allowed to happen Mm -hmm. where they didn't get professional sport teams because the black athletes couldn't stay with their teammates in hotels or eat in restaurants. Mm -hmm. So Atlanta was a different place to grow up. And, uh, yeah, there there was always stuff. My dad was so outspoken, but nothing of anything that bothered me. Like I said, I admired my dad. And I was – I mean, I was – his politics stuck with me, and for better or worse, they've stuck with my children, his grandchildren. Well, and we live in an area in Northwest Florida that is every bit as conservative as where you live. Well, that's... So we, we've dealt with that and been in business and dealt with it for many, many years.
0: Well, that's, that's where I wanted to, to head to next, Charles. Uh, for those of you just joining us or maybe watching this on replay, I'm talking with Charles Morgan III, and we're talking about Chuck's Fish. We're talking about civil rights era. His dad, Charles Morgan Jr., was a civil rights attorney and noted author. I've put in the comments section to the talk today a link to Chuck's Fish, so their website. I've also put a link in there to uh, Mr. Morgan's first book, A Time to Speak, that came out in '64, I believe but both of those are links that you guys can access uh, later on. Charles, you went into the business of first being a, I believe a wholesale seafood restaurant or not restaurant, but location at Harbor docks in the Destin area. Was that your first uh, venture into the world of seafood?
1: Well, I'd been, I'd grown up fishing. I, when I, when I left Alabama, a master's degree in american studies wasn't a real entree into a lot of things so i i guess i was pretty sure i got a captain's license Mm -hmm. when i was 23 years old and i ran a a private boat for uh, george elliott strickland paper in birmingham Mm -hmm. and they had a they kept their boat in destin and we had uh we there was no place for us to drink beer there were six rest when we opened harbor docks there were six restaurants from the Destin bridge to San Destin. That's a 10 mile stretch. I bet there're are 400 now. I was going to say it's grown a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So we, we opened a little place with six picnic tables and had beer and oysters and just sort of grew while Destin grew. We absolutely did not know what we're doing. We, I'm still not sure we know what we know what we're doing, but we just kind of wandered through it and, um, we opened our wholesale, we opened Docks in 1979. My children have now bought that from me um, and they're doing a better job than I ever did. And uh, we opened a seafood, we knew we had to get seafood. That became obvious after a few years, we got bigger and busier. And so we opened a wholesale seafood market in 82. And we don't retail seafood, we sell to restaurants and markets around the country.
0: Well, in the, in the 40 plus years that you guys have been down in the Destin area, I know you've seen all of the growth, you've seen lots of changes, but about 10, 12 years ago, the discussions were about wages and you were interviewed and, and one of the comments that you had made about increasing wages for the people who worked in the restaurant and, the, and in the businesses, that it was the right thing to do. And that really, when I read that interview a couple of weeks ago, that really struck with me that they just sounded like the Morgan uh, family creed or the Morgan mantra, if you will, Uh, just thinking about, I had read your father's book many years ago and talk to us a little bit about your thoughts
1: about that, the right thing to do. Yeah, I think it is the right thing to do. It's also the smart. It's turned out to be the smart thing to do, particularly after dealing with this pandemic. And I remember we had a press release and we talked about, I mentioned Henry Ford, mm-hmm. who was, he was something else. You know, one of the things they talked about when he built the Model T Ford, they asked if he was giving people what they wanted. And he said, no, nah. he said, if he if he had given people what they wanted, what they wanted was a faster horse, Mm-hmm. and he started building cars and was known for paying high wages at a, at a time when industrial, uh, the w- industrial world in our country was much different. And they asked him why he paid such high wages, and he said he wanted his workers to be able to afford to buy one of the cars that they built. And we want our workers to be able to eat in the restaurant in which they work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back when when we did that, that was actually presaged Bernie Sanders drive for a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. And I remember when that came out, they had a comment thing on AL.com and somebody had sent it to me and there were literally hundreds of responses and 95% of them was, who does this guy think he is? He can't do this. And that those were the comments were similar to that. And then there'd be one comment that would say, You idiot, he can do whatever he wants to. Nobody's making him do this. And coming out of the pandemic, uh, we were in Destin when it happened, and and Florida took a little different approach. But we were shut down. We went to all to go ordering for probably a month. Then they allowed short-term rentals, and they allowed us to open at twenty-five percent. And during that time, we had we kept everybody we kept everyone on salary on the payroll. And we provided the hourly people. My son did this. He provided the hourly people with a stipend to get them through because Florida was atrocious at antiquated systems for people getting on an employment and then collecting a check throughout that period. He took care of that. And so when we got to a 25% occupancy, he had 19 hourly employees that were laid off, and every single one came back except Sunshine McAllister. She had had a heart attack, and she came back about three weeks later. So we got every single employee back, um, and we followed that same path at pretty much all of our restaurants. We, if there's one thing we're proud of, we have a ridiculous retention rate for employees. We all, you know, we don't hire people; we adopt them, and that's that's worked well for us. and While, you know, in Destin, for instance, everything from Whataburger to McDonald's has signs offering $15 an hour opening pay and a free cell phone and a chance at winning a free car. Somebody's got that. We've never had a sign. of. I've always been when you drive by a place and you see a sign that says now hiring all positions. Mm -hmm. I've always thought, you know, I think, yeah, why don't we wait till they actually hire some people before we eat there? And so you'll see the same faces at all of our restaurants that you saw before the pandemic.
0: I've heard that before, and without you giving away the literal secret sauce, what is it about the people who you adopt, your employees, How is it that you treat them so well? What is it they the, what's the feedback from them that makes them want to come back and continue and work a long time for you guys?
1: Well we try to do the right thing and we do what like a lot of people we make from health insurance to 401k's we pay for gym memberships our american lunch program that we run in every single town is a 501c3 and in some of the college towns there are a lot of young people that have never really had an opportunity to work for a nonprofit and we pay them to work for our nonprofit mm-hmm. and that's been a remarkable experience in itself. Um, and more than that, we have lawyers. We, we've done well over the years. The restaurant business has been good to us. You know, Giving away free lunches to American lunch is not a big deal. Um, and I, I'm, I, I know lawyers and I know bankers and I know how hard it is to get money from banks sometimes. So I can't even begin to tell you how many employees we have right now that we loan money to, interest-free, um, that we help with legal problems, that we help with medical problems outside of insurance coverage, that we help with all kinds of other problems that young people run through, with drugs and alcohol. and we, we, uh, I think we do the same kind of things that I would like someone to do for my kids if they worked for them and it doesn't come under the typical realm of business uh, and we do it because we want to do it we enjoy doing it and it turns out that it's a smart thing to do.
0: It, it certainly
1: sounds like it you
0: don't treat the people you hire like hired just like hired help so to speak their family or probably even treat them even better <laughs> than some people treat their own family but I suspect you guys have employees who've been working for you for decades. And I, I bet each of the restaurants has somebody or people who've been there ever since it ever opened up, maybe multiple
1: employees. Dang, Dang McCormick at, at Harbor Docks has been there 41 years. She's from Thailand. She doesn't speak much better English now than she did when she came. Steve Williams has been behind the bar for 40 years. Our nighttime bartender, Mike Seavers, has been there 37 years. Yoshi, our sushi chef, has been with us 30 years. Uh, Jackie Tway, who runs everything around there, she started as a 14-year-old Vietnamese immigrant. And she's, I'm not going to say how old she is, but she's been there over 30 years. Uh, that's just one of the restaurants. Wow. Um, and, and there are many more than that. We probably have 20 people that have been with us for over 20 years. That's,
0: and and you, you've answered my next question already, Charles, is how have the restaurants been able to survive the pandemic when in normal times you read that 80 90% restaurants go out of business after two or three years your restaurants you're you're continuing to even open up restaurants with new locations and it just it's it's an example of how to run a business the right way so to your family to your your children and to yourself we certainly commend you and hope that chuck's fish Harbor Docks and the other uh, ventures that you're in continues uh, to, to be there for so, so many. Now, if I go to the Chuck's Fish in Atlanta or in, in Georgia, is there a different experience than the one in, say, Birmingham or the one in Tuscaloosa? Or do you feel like you're in the same location at each place?
1: Um, All the locations, the one in Athens, Georgia, where we or have Athens, the Chuck's is... Uh it's a Greyhound bus, it was a Greyhound bus station, and it's where the Freedom Riders started, stopped when they came through Athens, Um, and we own that building, we have another restaurant in Athens, also a five there, and one of the differences in Athens, you can't, um, you're likely to see Kirby Smart in there, Kirby's a partner with us there, He spent a dozen years with us at the Chucks in Tuscaloosa, so, um, no, Athens. Athens is similar to Tuscaloosa. It's just a wonderful town, um, and and we've you're, it's just the same, basic same experience. That, um, Dane Henderson, the got from Destin, runs that. He's our partner in that store. He runs it. Um, they're all all the Chucks are very similar. Charles, D- different daughter. different structures, different buildings. The one in Mobile, the one in Tallahassee. The one in Birmingham is probably the least, it's definitely the, all the other buildings are hundred years old or older. Charles, my daughter, I have a young, my youngest
0: daughter's a senior at the University of Georgia. We ate- She's in, smart. If she got in, she's smart. She, she is a smart kid headed to medical school in a year, but we were there for parents weekend. We ate in the Chuck's fish in Athens, three tables over, is Kirby Smart in his family. No, he's
1: there, you know. he's, he's he there a there.
0: lot. He was there. Excellent partner to have in a college football town. I, I suspect, I suspect so. Charles, as we conclude, we've got just a couple more minutes and I really appreciate your time and sharing a little bit about your family story and your approach to business. I, I want, I'm gonna ask you, this is a, an ask. If, if I wanna start a business, whether I'm in the restaurant business or a law firm, or whatever it may be what are some principles that a entrepreneur a new business owner may consider or should consider when they're trying to be successful but they're just getting off the ground
1: well i, I don't i don't know that i'm a i'm a good advisor on that i can you can go we have we're, we have so few rules and regulations at our restaurants and you can go to any restaurant that we're involved in and ask any employee and say, what is the most important uh, thing that we have to follow to work at this restaurant? And every single one of them will tell you the same thing. They have to be on time. Mm-hmm. That That is our rule. I can tell you um, we are as you, know, we try to do the very best we can at hiring, which is a remarkably difficult thing to do. Whether you're Google or whether you're an NFL football team who has all kinds of advantages when they uh, rec- when they sign college players and they get it wrong all very often, mm-hmm. it, hiring is not easy. Um, I, you know, I've had mentors. I, uh, George Landegger, Friend of mine from New York is a partner in our restaurants. Mike Bodner, I'm a partner with, and Mike, the Bodners have a strong presence in Birmingham. Um, and I rely on them. I, I barely can spell business. I don't have a business background. My father didn't have one. So I've paid attention to those people I know who do, and I try to pick the things that I can, that I'm most likely to be able to follow. I'm, I'm still learning and I enjoy that. And I, I like learning from people that have been doing it longer than me, but we, we generally try to do the right thing. And, uh, I don't like the word, uh, concept. I don't, I'm not big on, I'm not, when people mention say that I'm an entrepreneur, I am not an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm not that, you know, I'm in the restaurant business. i am kind of working my way through figuring out how to run restaurants, but, I wouldn't be the one to go find something you really, really like to do. If you don't like people and you don't like solving problems, don't get in the restaurant business. Find something else. Um, well, Charles, someone very close to me
0: once said that the family is who shows up. And 90% of showing up is, solves a lot of problems. may create some problems, but it solves a lot of problems. And what you've described, the way that you and your family act and treat toward the people who work at your businesses,
1: that's family to me. And that, that speaks volumes. It, yeah, I've always said, you know, I think Woody Allen's one that said, but 98% of life is just showing up mm-hmm. and putting one fruit in front of the other and taking really deep breaths. I do a lot of that.
0: Well, Charles, thank you so much for spending a little time with me today. I, I really, truly enjoyed it.
1: I enjoyed it. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. And guys, as I try to do each week, interesting people in their areas of expertise. And Charles Morgan III certainly fits that bill. And that's why I keep doing these shows each Tuesday at 10 o'clock central. So thank you again for watching live or even if you watch or will watch us on replay. We always appreciate the support and the comments. Hope you guys have a safe week and we will catch you next Tuesday. Be well.